Hello, and welcome to this episode of Surety Today. Surety Today is a live monthly call-in podcast presented by the Surety and Fidelity Law Group at Wright, Constable, and Skeen, located in the Mid-Atlantic region. Surety Today is offered to surety claims professionals and is designed to keep you informed about important issues in the industry. Here is your host, Michael Stover. Welcome, everybody, to this edition of Surety Today. First, I want to say congratulations to all the Tampa Bay Buccaneer fans and condolences to the Chiefs fans, of course, from the Super Bowl. My name is Mike Stover, and I'm a partner in the Surety and Fidelity Law Group here at Wright, Constable, and Skeen in Baltimore, Maryland. As always, we'd like to open up our episodes with a big thank you to everyone for your support of Surety Today. We ask that you pass along our contact information to any colleagues you think may be interested in calling in or checking out one of our podcasts. Remember, you can listen to one of our prior Surety Today episodes anytime from any one of our multiple locations on on our Surety Today page on our website at wcslaw.com, as a podcast at Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podbean. Just search for Surety Today. And on our microsite at suretytoday.net. As always, we've muted the line during the presentation to avoid uh, background noise. We'll unmute the line at the end for any questions. As I mentioned last month, we're in the process of planning out the topics for our podcast episodes in 2021, so if you have any ideas for a good Surety Today presentation, please uh, send me an email or give me a call. Today, I'm excited to uh, be joined by Bill McConnell and Diana Minchella from the Vertex Companies, and they will talk to us uh, about the state of the construction and surety industry, a topic that uh, obviously is very near and dear to all of our hearts. Vertex has been providing these uh, state of the industry reports for 16 years now, and it's become something that um, I think everyone eagerly looks forward to. I know I do. So without further ado, I will introduce our our, uh, guest. First, we have Bill McConnell. He is the co-founder and CEO of Vertex. He has a Bachelor of Science degree in civil engineering from the uh, University of Maine, a Juris Doctor degree from the University of Denver, a Master of Science degree from Columbia University, and he's working towards his Doctor of Philosophy degree in civil engineering from the University of Colorado. Bill has worked in the construction industry nearly his entire life. He rose through the ranks from a union construction worker during high school and college summers to a project engineer at a top 50 construction company to a senior executive at Vertex. In addition, Bill is a seasoned expert expert witness for domestic and international mega project disputes. He's testified nearly 200 times, most notably for quantum and damages, scheduling, allocation, termination, and standard of care opinions. As many of you know, he's a frequent presenter at many construction, engineering, and law conferences each year. Now, Diana Minchella, as I noted, uh, we're also joined today by her. She's the managing director with Vertex for the Surety Claims Consulting Division nationwide. Diana earned her Bachelor of Science degree in Civil Engineering from Duke University and her Master's of Science degree in Construction Engineering and Management from the University of California at Berkeley. Diana has a strong background in investigating and analyzing construction claims for contractors, owners, sureties, and insurance carriers on a wide variety of projects, including commercial, municipal, healthcare, transportation, wastewater treatment, and solar facilities. She defends against construction claims and prepares affirmative claims as well. The claims experience has involved construction delays, delayed damages, design defects, 
owner-initiated changes, unanticipated weather, differing site conditions, disruption, and defective work. As a project manager with Vertex, Diana brings to the table her background in construction management and civil engineering and has provided construction management and consulting services on numerous multi-million dollar projects throughout the Northeast. Finally, uh, Diana also provides expert witness services in delay damages, cost of repairs, different site conditions, CPM scheduling, and standard of care. Of course, I, I dare say that everyone knows the Vertex company. Uh, Vertex is a, an international full-service consulting firm with expertise in surety, engineering, construction, environmental technology, and business, and they have over 650 consultants. Vertex was founded in 1995 and last year celebrated their 25th anniversary. Throughout the years, Vertex has maintained strong positions in ENR's top construction management, project management, and environmental listings year after year, Inc. Magazine's fastest growing firms, Zweig Group's hot firm and best firms to work for list. Vertex is known throughout the surety industry as a go-to surety consultant for one-stop shop support regardless of the project size, complexity, or location. Well, welcome Bill and Diana and thank you for joining us today and sharing all the information you've gathered regarding the surety and construction industry. Now I'm going to turn over the presentation to Bill and Diana. Thanks, okay. Mike. We really appreciate that introduction and the opportunity to speak today. Uh, we thought we could start this segment with a review of the 2020 economy in general, where we are now and where we might be going, so that we can set the stage for our discussion on the construction and surety industries more specifically. So with that, Bill, uh, could you give us an overview? Sure, yes, and, and the reason we do this is because the construction economy basically moves with the overall economy. It's a little more volatile. Uh, however, it's in direct correlation. As we all know, the 128-month expansion cycle ended last about a year ago, last February, February of 2020. It was the longest bull run uh, since the 1800s. So uh, the 2010s were, were quite a run for uh, the overall economy and construction. It wasn't, <clears throat> it wasn't really high growth, but it was steady growth for that entire decade. Um, so what happens at the end of cycles, at the end of expansion cycles, is you have unemployment that bottoms out, you have a yield curve that inverts, you have uh, strong GDP growth, you have a Fed funds rate that ticks up because inflation is ticking up, and you have the equities markets at record highs. And when those, that confluence of events merges together, you know that you're late cycle, you know that there's going to be a correction, and it's generally triggered by confidence when, when you're 128 months into a, a cycle and the yield curve is inverted, everyone knows that there is going to be a, a correction and uh, typical corrections in terms of the equities markets is about 30%. This one was certainly abnormal or atypical because the economy more or less shut down for several months because of COVID. Uh, we haven't seen that since 1918. And um, we had very severe um, shifts in the economy. We had crazy unemployment numbers up at 15%, which is the likes of which we haven't seen for 80 years. Um, and so we had unemployment flipping. We had 
uh, GDP growth shrinking by uh, quarter over quarter, 30%. We haven't seen that in some time. We had Fed funds rate being dropped to zero almost overnight um, to try to stimulate the economy. Uh, inflation did go down for about a cup of coffee, and now it's, it's going up slightly. That's one of the current discussions. And we all know that the equities markets uh, lost about 30%, and then they jumped back up and have eclipsed where they were pre-pandemic. Um, so it, all signs indicate that we're really in an early expansion cycle when you look at many indicators. However, many say that it, it's not a V-shaped recovery, it's a K-shaped recovery where the rich got richer and the poor got poorer, and there's, there's a lot to support that contention. Um, and there's fear of a double-dip recession, uh, recession because this last wave, COVID wave, that started back in September, October of 2020 was by far the most severe COVID wave. Um, fortunately, yesterday, the COVID numbers were below 90,000, which is the first time that's happened since the first week of November. So we are seeing between the, uh, the vaccines that are being distributed and a typical wave basically does last about three or so months. We're seeing those, those numbers come down. Um, so hopefully we can avoid a double dip, which is, which is more or less when you have a, um, a comeback and then you have a reduction in spending again. Um, but what we'd see is a jump in unemployment and a reduction in GDP spending. And we haven't seen that. Uh, most recent numbers weren't a, a big reduction in unemployment, but it went from 6.7 down to, I think, 6.3. But still, it's nine points below where it was uh, back in June. So, Diana, that's kind of where we stand. We're, we're a little bit um, unknown territory right now, but it does appear that we are in an early expansion cycle. So all things considered, all those economic issues from 2020, the construction industry actually fared pretty well then. Um, and I think you'd probably agree that's in large part because construction was deemed an essential business and excluded from a lot of the pandemic-related restrictions. But that said, what are some of your concerns for 2021, and what indicators are you looking at, and how might that be different than the, in, the way the industry was in 2020? Right. The, the industry itself fared remarkably well uh, because of that status and because of the expansion in the residential marketplace. We, we saw in 2020, we saw... 21% growth year over year in the residential market, which is $700 billion out of the $1.5 trillion industry. So it's almost half of the industry where non-resi is $800 billion. Um, and so that really propped up the industry. In addition, you didn't see, you saw backlogs being earned because it was, uh, the industry was deemed essential, which was absolute, absolutely critical. Uh, for the industry in terms of maintaining growth. Um, it was up about 5% last year, which is, is really uh, quite amazing, um, considering most industries were, were actually shut down for 30 to 60 days. Construction was not one of them. But as you mentioned, the biggest issue is backlogs that are shrinking. And when that happens, confidence goes down 
And you see this from the Architectural Billings Index and the various AGC and CMAA and various other surveys that have been done that talk about how backlogs are indeed tricking. And that's exactly what happens. Um, the overall economy, you have a reduction in confidence and developers um, kind of put things on hold before they spend. And usually um, private or public construction um, kind of does well, is steady through recessions because they're, fe they're funded by federal and state money. Um, and that's what we have here, but when you look at kind of the, the public-private breakdown, which I think we'll talk about in a bit, um, you know, public construction is a small piece, all things considered, to the overall construction marketplace. But here we have a very traditional uh, set of scenarios where we have backlog shrinking, and accordingly, we have contractors that'll start, particularly um, non-resi contractors and private contractors that deal in lodging, office, commercial, uh, those types of larger non-residential sectors, manufacturing, chasing work. Um, and I'll give you a, a, a for instance, Diana, our owner's rep team in Boston um, just noted, uh, John Lemieux called me last week and he said there was, um, we do the engineer's estimates um, prior to bid and, and we're usually, you know, within five or 10%, we're usually, uh, Sometimes we're a few percentage points low than what comes in, especially in late cycle, because you have inflation in a booming markets. Here we estimated the job at 30 million based on 20 years worth of data, and the low bidder was right around 20 million. So we're seeing this trend where um, it's not the recession necessarily that, that gets contractors, it's the lack of backlog and the fear. Um, that overcomes contractors and they, they really want to fill their coffers with backlog and they will take, uh, they will reduce margins in order to do that. And we're seeing that the trend is time, uh, time tested and true and we are seeing that again. And um, so in terms of the surety industry, we're just gonna have to keep an eye on that and um, there's not gonna be much money and this is on a subcontractor basis and a contractor basis left to kind of help out uh, or address problems. And what normally happens is we see um, subcontractors, which are smaller and perhaps not as capitalized as some of the larger players and the, the larger general contractors, they're the ones that have the problems first. And um, that's what we're seeing overall. I know in your group, Diana, maybe you can talk about uh, if that's the case, if you're seeing a lot of smaller contractors and subcontractor frequency hit uh, these days. Yeah, I think most of the claims we're seeing are with the uh, smaller size contractors. You know, to your point, um, with less work and more competition, you know, contractors are bidding more competitively, and I think that can increase the amount of bid error. And I think what we've all seen frequently is where, you know, one bad project, especially for a small contractor, uh, can really have a overarching impact on their entire operation. And that's generally what we've been seeing, starting to trickle right. in. For sure. So did, um, before we move on into a little more detail on that, 
typical economic cycle. Did you want to expand a little bit more on what you're seeing for trends in construction spending, you know, public versus private, and where that might head in 2021, and you know, any federal spending upcoming in the Biden administration? Yeah, sure. Um, the in terms of where we are in the economic cycle, it's it's very critical for AEC companies and surety underwriters, I suppose, to understand where we are. Um, you have early expansion, mid-expansion, late expansion, and then recessions. And depending on where we are um, in a macro sense, you can determine how the industry as a whole is going to do. Uh, in terms of recessions, recessions don't necessarily uh, affect contractors. You see some, as you were mentioning, the trickle in in terms of the smaller undercapitalized shops that, that can get caught pretty quick. Um, but when you see the, the, the 900,000 contractors that existed in 2007, um, that troughed out at 750 in like 2013, I believe. So the trend, uh, 150 contractors actually failed uh, during that period. The, mo uh, the bulk of them failed post-recession, and that's because in early, early expansion cycles, which is arguably where we are right now, that's where you have um, uh, limited backlog and that's where you need to, you, uh, contractors feel the need to really, rather than right-size the firm, is to just generate backlog, whether it's profitable or not. And that's a typical strategy that's undertaken. So during those early expansion years, those are the tough years for contractors and AAC firms. So we're going to see uh, the next couple of years be problems, and that's re that's reflected in surety lock years. That's that's very typical. But once you get through those early expansion or yeah, the early expansion years, and you move into a mid cycle, mid cycle is like the greatest time in the world for a contractor because there's ample work out there. You're a wanted commodity, and inflation isn't too great. Um, I'll take a step back and just talk about some of that inflation. Uh, what's very rare about this most recent uh, recession is that. Um, residential inflation was up by, lumber was up by 25%. So in certain residential products, we had extreme inflation, but in most everything else, we did see uh, an ease, flattening, or even reduction in inflation. Um, and so you can make a ton of money uh, mid-market, mid-expansion cycle, and then once you move into late expansion, that's when we have all the issues with worker shortages, infla uh, material inflation, labor inflation. And that's where contractors get caught too, because um, a lot of that is can be unanticipated. And then you get into jams, and there's schedule issues and quality issues that manifest. And then you move into a recession where those issues ease, but then you're faced with chasing backlog. Um, so it, it's very predictable if you kind of understand where you are. Uh, and in terms of how the, the public sectors and the private sectors fair. Um, uh, public work was was up, I think, six percent, but that was um, in large part because a seven hundred billion dollar sector was up by twenty one percent, which is the largest increase since two thousand and three. So think about those uh, early two thousand days with all of the subprime lending and in the residential bubble that uh, was caused by that. Well, here we are. Uh, many years later, 17, 18 years later, and, and we have, is it a bubble? Is the residential sector a bubble? Because you do have low rates, 
Uh, and banks, when you look at the banks, though, they're in much better shape. So uh, I don't necessarily think it's a bubble, but that's going to ease. I mean, it can't continue at 20%. Um, the, the, the industry was down by approximately 10 uh, 20% for four years running, I think, from uh, 08 to uh, 11. But um, having that sustainable 20% year-over-year growth is, is not possible. Um, but the non-residential sectors uh, had a bad year last year. They were all down. Um, and when we're talking about the larger non-residential sectors, it's commercial, um, office, lodgings fairly large. Education was flat, thanks in large part to public spending. Um, and highway and street was up a bit. But in total, resi was down, uh, non-resi was down about five points. And that was offset by, you know, you have that, that big growth in resi. And then overall, the industry was up by five points. So it was a very crazy year in terms of numbers. Um, but it's something that um, in terms of the non-residential sector, when we were, you know, anywhere from 2013 to 2019, the lodging sector was humming. You had uh, commercial office, commercial retail was doing really well. And now all of that's easing. Um, and when you do look at the split between uh, public and private, uh, the surety industry is really driven by public construction, which is about $350 billion out of the $1.5 trillion industry. So it makes up you know, 20, roughly 25 to 30% of the overall construction industry. And when you take a look at that breakdown itself, where does that $350 uh, billion come from? A little less than half of it's fed Fed money and then the balance of state and local money. Um, so it's uh, the, the big uh, discussion points these days are, are we going to have another American Recovery and Reinvestment Act as we did in 2009 that will prop up public spending? Uh, probably. We have a, a, a blue wave and we have a, uh, a president that's built his reputation on infrastructure over the years. So they're saying that that ought to sail through Congress, uh, an infrastructure bill. But, but really what impact will that have is the question. So every year about 100 to $200 billion uh, is pumped into the public construction industry by the federal government. Most of that goes to Highway and Street. Um, is it going to be, you know, $50 billion more? Which makes a dent. I mean, that's, that's more than 10% of the overall industry. And yes is, is probably the answer to that question. So you're probably going to see a 10, 20% bump in public construction spending. And in the meantime, how is um, private sectors going to perform? Well, it's probably uh, uh, not well, I would say, in the first half of this year. Developers will start to, um, you know, money's cheap and um, if inflation eases, then it's going to be a great time to build and develop. But uh, with the hybrid workforce these days, how is that going to affect office construction, uh, manufacturing? How is that going to be adjusted? Uh, manufacturing was down 17% last year. Um, so when you do, do look at the sectors, uh, Diana, I think it's going to be um, I think it's going to be tough sledding for the first two quarters at a minimum. Um, because we're going to start feeling really the effects of the lower backlog because the existing backlog has been burned or is just about to be burned uh, through last year and early this year. Yeah, and just to go back to the 
any additional federal spending, that's not an effect we'd see right away anyway by the time it goes, passes, and then makes its way to an actual construction start. It's at a minimum a year before yeah, that it, money turns into a construction start. That's a really good point. I mean, they, they look to shovel-ready projects uh, typically, but what is a shovel-ready project? You know, HDR still has to, or Burns and McDonald still has to uh, design uh, a bridge and roadway, and that's going to take and, uh, all of the other wetlands authorizations, et cetera, et cetera. You're exactly right. By the time, Diana, what, the contractor submits his first invoice on a project, you're right, it probably is 12 months out. And then just uh, speaking about the, or going back to the recession expansion cycle in construction and how that correlates with the surety loss cycle, you've already mentioned, and I think most of us know, um, the, that those losses start to tick up in the early expansion portion of that construction economic cycle. Uh, do you want to give us a, an overview of where the surety loss cycle has been and where it is now and what might influence where it goes? Sure, yes. The, the surety industry has just done an, a remarkable project, uh, job in managing its risk for the past 15 years. I mean, we went through the Great Recession, and yes, there was a, a year or two where it hit 30% uh, loss ratio in contract surety, overall surety was was a lot less than that, about of, of the, what, $6 billion in premium, about uh, two-thirds of it, if not more, I believe, is contract surety, commercial and other products fulfilling the rest. But it was remarkable after those massive loss ratios we the industry saw in the late 90s and early 2000s, how the uh, industry righted itself and went through the, the worst recession we've had. Um, years and um, really came out fairly unscathed. However, you do see the impacts post-recession. Like you said, as we all know, the losses hit, the major losses hit uh, during, dur during the early expansion years, and, and I think that's where we may be right now, but we're talking maybe the next 24 to 36 months is where we'll see uh, the bulk of issues hit the surety loss balance sheet. Um, and again, that, that's a direct consequence of everything is backlog and the decisions that are created based on uh, lower backlogs and uh, moves that are made there. And, you know, how is that controlled? Well, and, and easier said than done, well, just right size your company. Well, it's, it's a lot easier said than done. Um, we're in a professional services industry. Yes, in construction, you, you build things, but the, the large majority of, at the general contractor level are, are really construction managers these days that do very little work. So um, you're, you're more or less billing hours, and it's hard to find good people. It's hard to train people, and um, that takes a lot of time, and the last thing you want to do is lose people like that. So uh, I think uh, the decision is, well, we'll just, we'll, we were bidding things at 5% margin, let's bid it at 2% uh, if you're a general contractor. Um, subcontractors usually uh, do a little bit better with right sizing. However, um, you know, they, they're not as cash strong 
and that's what kind of hurts you during, during these uh, early expansion years is you have these these payment cycles and then disputes and you see a lot of uh, unsettled disputes. I know uh, the, your, your group uh, in terms of contract claims has seen a massive influx in contractor and owner and designer and subcontractor slash vendors disputes manifest over the last year or so and that's because uh, money is, is drying up a bit for all folks involved and that causes problems and that causes cash flow jams and so um, we are going to see this it's it's very predictable but the question is is it going to be a major loss cycle or a minor loss cycle there isn't a ton of data I mean we can go back to the 1970s and 80s really the 1980s to see uh, to look at loss trends the SFAA has, has done a great job in, in maintaining that data since the 80s and you do see uh, a major loss cycle in the 80s, a minor loss cycle in the 90s, a major loss cycle in the early 2000s, a minor uh, loss cycle in the 2010s after the Great Recession. And now, uh, if that trend holds true, we're actually due for a, a major loss cycle. Um, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Um, and this, you know, the only thing I would hedge that with is this, recession was um, the MBER, National Bureau of Economic Research, said we, we went into a recession in February, but did we come out of it in June? I know we had that third wave of COVID, COVID over the last couple of months, but uh, are we out of it? And are they going to say that was a real quick recession? I don't know, which would suggest that we're gonna have, we will have minimal losses comparatively, uh, loss ratios for the charity providers, but we shall see. And I think that's a great overview, and I think we're coming close to the end of our time. You know, my key takeaway is really about how contractors are going to fill these backlogs. That's, to me, a big question. And to your point, it's not that easy to just right-size a company. And lower margins, you can probably weather that storm, but, you know, moving outside your sector or making other core decisions to fill that, that backlog could be tragic. Um, yeah, one, one point, Diana, that I think we talked about is what's different from the last cycle is we, we had, uh, what, residential contractors moving into non-residential work, and that's just yes. the opposite now. Um, and just, and, yes, right. Yeah, so right. you would think that they could make a better transition um, just because they may be a little more sophisticated, but the margins may be lower. Back to you. Right. Yeah, and some of the issues we saw in the late 2000s was not just residential and non-residential, but even just private to public. Um, contractors did not know how to bid public work, all that it is entailed in doing so. Even just a payment application um, that could be like inches thick on a public project, they're not used to it. They weren't getting one particular case, they weren't paid in months on several public projects because they couldn't get a payment application processed. Um, so those are some really poor decisions, I think, besides just low margin that could obviously impact surety losses. Yep. Um, but any other last words, Bill, or takeaways before? Yeah, I think. Yeah, before we turn it back to Mike, I would just say it's 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 been a very interesting, uh, <laughs> to say the very least, year, and. Um, 
this is going to be an interesting early expansion cycle to see what happens in our industry. Uh, and we are in that time where the decisions are being made um, that will affect the livelihood of uh, contractors. We went from, I mentioned there was 900,000 contractors who went to 750, now it's up at 850. So where is that number going to trough? Is that going to go down to, I, my guess is it'll probably go down to 800,000. So it's not going it, to, it'll be 40 to 50,000 contractors that, that have problems that, that really fail and not the 150 thousand, but they there's a good chance they could be larger contractors that fail only because um, most of the failures last cycle were residential shops, which can be very small subcontractors and small GCs that are just home builders. Now we have the sector being hit is commercial office, commercial retail, hospitality, as I mentioned, manufacturing and some of those are very large players, so it should be interesting to see what happens. And over to you, Michael. Okay, great. Thanks again. That's a, a ton of information, and, and I have um, for everybody after this episode, we'll send around a PDF, which is a PowerPoint presentation that, that Bill and Diana put together with charts with all the information that they were talking about and it's in a PDF format so you can easily uh, open that up and take a look at the slides so we'll, we'll get that out uh, as soon as we can so back when this uh, pandemic originally hit back in April and May I did a lot of research and put together an article about the economic impact of, uh, of the pandemic and the whole issue was this this just this uncertainty you know corporations couldn't determine what their forecasts were going to be. Economists couldn't determine what was going to happen. And it was all because you didn't know whether there were going to be multiple waves of, of the virus, whether the vaccines would be effective. Now we've got new variants and other issues. And so this, this whole uncertainty aspect of this really makes uh, economic forecasting difficult. But I think Bill and Diana did a great job of, uh, of, of shedding light on this and, and giving us the information. And so we uh, re really appreciate that. I uh, wanted to let everybody know that our next episode of Surety Today will be on Monday, March 8th at 1230, and George Backrack and I will discuss using and understanding the restatement third of suretyship and guarantee. In many jurisdictions, the, you know, the law of suretyship is not that well developed, and turning to the restatement for authority can really help, but that the terminology can be cumbersome, so we'll focus on the restatement next time. Bill and Diana... Um, I wanted to thank you again for, for your hard work on this and for all you do for the uh, surety industry and uh, really appreciate you being on the line with us today. Thanks again. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Surety Today. Audio recordings and white papers from prior episodes are available on the Surety Today page of the Wright, Constable, and Skeen website at wcslaw.com backslash surety dash today.